G'day everyone, welcome to Lubrication Explained. Today I'm going to have a discussion with Professor Ashley Martini. Uh, she's from the Tribology Group, which is the Martini Research Group at University of California at Merced. Uh, really interesting discussion. We had a lot of common thoughts about linking lubricants to sustainability and the impact that it can have on the world and the fact that it's just a very undervalued area. So it was really cool to get her take on how do you communicate that message um, you know, in a research and government setting versus what I do, which is a little bit more customer facing. Also, uh, she's the first person that I've ever talked to in a professional setting that I know for a fact could kick my ass. Uh, she was a former national level, level uh, judo practitioner. And so, uh, you know, just it's nice to know that people have interests outside of their specific research field. Anyway, I thought the discussion was really good. Um, definitely uh, listen through to the end because I think uh, there were a lot of really good insights. All right, let's get into it. Thank you so much to uh, Professor Ashley Martini for, for coming on. Um, you're probably going to be the second victim that I uh, uploaded to YouTube, so uh, I'm pretty excited about that. Um, the reason I wanted to have uh, Professor Martini come on, uh, she's from University of California at Merced, um, and so slightly different world coming from sort of academia and, and research, but very heavily involved in tribology. I really encourage anyone who's watching this to go and follow her either on Twitter or uh, the Martini Research Group is on LinkedIn as well. They put out some like really cool stuff. They've got a, uh, an awesome video series running at the moment where they do like short uh, 30 second to one minute videos explaining different aspects of tribology and I'm finding it really entertaining. I know there's a lot to come. Um, but one of the reasons I wanted to have her on is because we kind of share a uh, common aim which is uh, you know, getting people to uh, understand the value, I guess, of tribology and lubrication. Um, and I know, you know, Professor Martini has, has done a lot of work in that area. Um, and so I'm just really interested to get her thoughts on how, you know, in the research field, uh, do you get more people interested, engaged and excited about it and help them to understand the value? Because I think that's something that we really struggle with on the industrial side as well. Um, and, and I guess we'll, we'll kind of get into that. So, uh, Professor Martini, thank you so much for, for joining us. So um, I guess the, the first couple of questions would be um, really around uh, how did you kind of get into tribology? Because I know that's not necessarily your background. Um, uh, did you kind of, was it intentional? Did you fall into it? How, how did you approach it? I, I think I fell into it. And I think that's probably what most people will respond when you ask that question. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I very much doubt that this was an intentional career path for most folks. Yep. Uh, we follow into in, we fall into it. In my case, I fell into it in grad school, um, but most of us fall into it and then find out how important and exciting it is. So we we stick around. Yeah. Okay. Um, that yeah, that's very similar experience to me, right? Uh, I came from a aerospace engineering background and then um, was a drilling engineer in the upstream at ExxonMobil for a little while and sort of fell into to tribology as well. But um, once you once you fell into it. Uh, what made you stick around? That, that's a, it's a good question, but there's so many things. Um, there really are so many things. Part of it is application oriented and part of it is science based. Mm. I mean, as, as we know, I, you know, 
part of this podcast is to get this knowledge out there. But as you and I know, and some of the listeners listeners for this podcast know that tribology really matters. So for those of us who, for whom things like sustainability and uh, green technologies are really important, tribology is fundamental to that. So we want to make, I'm a mechanical engineer, we want to make mechanical components energy efficient and last a very, very long time. Mm -hmm. And the best way to do that is through tribology. So from an application perspective and a global and societal impact perspective, there's, there's really no better field in my mind. But on the, on the other end of the spectrum, it's also scientifically fascinating. It's not just one field. Mm-hmm. So I, as I mentioned, I'm a mechanical engineer. I've had to learn chemistry to figure out what the difference between an ester and an ether was. <laughs> had to learn about material science, some physics. You know, it's, it's totally inherently interdisciplinary. So when you go to conferences, for example, you see people from all these different fields trying to speak each other's languages and the breakthroughs happen at the interfaces between the languages, so between the disciplines rather. And I think from a scientific perspective, that makes it really, really interesting. Yeah, that's really interesting too. So in, in industry, I think the thing that which appeals is almost, uh, uh, you know, if you're a generalist rather than a specialist, it, it the intersection of so many different applications, right? So, so even when you get into mechanical engineering, a lot of people get pigeonholed into being, you know, mm-hmm. you're a, turbo machinery engineer like you just look at turbines and compressors versus right. you know on the lubrication engineering side you have to it's every application right whether it's a right. log roller at uh you know a, a timber mill to turbines gearboxes etc so that always yeah, appeals and, and the moves. intersection as well of of so many different disciplines like you were talking about you know you, you have to understand a little you may not have to know it at a phd level but understand a bit right. of chemistry and a bit of physics and a bit of mm-hmm. mechanical engineering, a bit of chemical engineering. It's, it, yeah, mm-hmm. that's the thing that had always kind of appealed to me. But I wanted to pick up a little bit on the sustainability angle that you talked about because, um, again, that's maybe something that is not appreciated specifically with our customers, right? So if I'm a lubrication engineer and I go to a site, um, they don't link the lubricants that they're using necessarily to their business's sustainability goals um so what are the what are some of the kinds of things that um maybe you have been exploring even in terms of uh let's say going for government research grants and things like that how do you put sustainability kind of at the at front of mind that another great question you've got a whole slew of them here i don't i don't know that i necessarily have to put it put sustainability at the, at the front of the mind because it's always there for me. Yeah. It's one of the re- it's one of my motivating factors. It's when I, when I teach or when I'm talking to my grad students or when I'm pursuing funding or doing research, mm. any of those in my mind, I'm, you know, this is, I'm going to use my little air quotes here. I'm trying to make the world a better place. Yeah. Right. And I, I think that that always drives me and, and drives, drives the students that, that I work with. We're, you know, we're trying to make mechanical components, which is our area of expertise, more energy efficient. So we use fewer of the earth's resources. Things last longer. You don't have to dispose of them. You don't have to use up the energy to make replacement parts. I mean, it's all, it's all right there, but you're, you're correct to say that you have to put it forward when you're, for example, as you said, proposing research to government agencies or even industry, you have mm-hmm. to put that forward because it's not present in, in others' minds. Yeah, and because it, it feels like we're, 
in a lot of respect competing for attention with um, what you would probably describe as being uh, you know on the face of it sexier or more exciting fields right so you know if you're competing for funds with the guys who are doing photovoltaics research you know one is more obviously linked to sustainability than the other even if the impact might not might be equal or, or in our favor right so absolutely so a, a, how do you convey that message i guess because that's something yeah, that if i, I, I had to, find challenging if i had to get into that i would really be i'd really be in business but i i think it's one step at a time and it's what it's what you and i are doing mm. it's just continuing to say these kinds of things to every audience across every platform. I, I, I think that at least for me, that's the best way I know how. One of the challenges is that we as engineers and scientists are often not, um, we're not extroverts. Yeah. We're often not out there presenting ourselves. It's something through my career that I've kind of had to force myself to do, to be perfectly honest, is I'm not a natural TikTok star my name, you know, my most comfortable state is not on a podcast, yep. <laughs> right? But you, it's kind of our our responsibility mm. to put this out there, and especially if if we have the ability to communicate effectively, to do so, to to share our message with as many people as we can, as broadly as we can. Yeah, it's so funny that you say that because I think a lot of the time, uh, in the field that I work in, we almost face the direct opposite problem, in that. Uh, in in the research and scientific community, you do have quite a lot of introverts, but within uh, a lot of lubricant teams in industry, because you've got a heavy sales focus, and so all the sales guys are like extreme extroverts. <laughs> so so it's a very different it's a very different challenge, um, uh, but but still the that communication of uh, value is is something that we still. Uh, struggle with and even if you communicate it it's not like the message is necessarily being understood I think mm -hmm. um, so that's yeah that's really interesting you have to target your message to your audience as well probably the sales guys know this but in science communication it's equally as important right if I'm I'm talking to an engineer it's different than if I'm talking to a third grader or or anywhere along the spectrum or, or my grandma or something like that you really do have to tailor the message hmm. i don't know if you, you saw the the cbs special that i the mission there's something oh yes yeah, yeah i did, I did. That one. okay again that was not my native state that was extremely hard for me to do but we spent a long time trying to think about how do you convey ideas of tribal concepts of tribology to, to kids and the show was aimed for kids and i, I think we were successful so I, I hope people check it out but it's an example of, of aim of tuning your tuning your message. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, yeah, very valuable. I, I've got actually a talk coming up at um, uh, the LRVS summit where the the thesis of my talk is actually that that everyone is a salesperson. So because that's wonderful. Because the idea is that you, you're not just uh, you could be in sales and you're selling a widget or something like that, but you know, regardless of that, if you're an engineer talking to your maintenance superintendent, or if you're a researcher talking to government, you're having to sell an idea. And there's actually a lot of skills from the sales world, which are, um, would be very beneficial for a lot of, a lot of people. Yeah. Um, 
just sales isn't kind of regarded as a, uh, you know, a higher calling necessarily. But, uh, you know, you've briefly touched on quite a few forums where you've had discussions, you know, trying to promote the the field, whether it's, uh, you know, the CBS uh, special, uh, we talked a little bit about the short form videos that you guys are doing. Um, You know, outside of trying different like media formats and trying to cater to a different audience. Um, uh, what, what are some of the other things that you would like the, the Martini research group, I guess, to be able to, to do? Uh, I don't know. I, I mean, in an ideal world, we have a broader audience, right? Yep. We, we don't want to be preaching to the choir. We'd like to be able to reach out to to more people who have never heard the term tribology and mm. uh, maybe avoid using the word lubrication engineer <laughs> if at all possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a familiar <laughs> challenge. But I, I think, I, I don't, I mean, we're trying, but it's, it's, it's hard to find avenues to get, to get the word out. I think just, just keeping, just pushing is one way to do it. Plant a lot of seeds. A few things are going to grow. You know, one or two people see each thing, and then you've had a little impact. But you know, I, I am a university professor, so in the end of the day, most of my impact is going to be at the university level and on the students that I teach. So I, I'm certainly not throwing that aside for my uh, social media <laughs> pursuits. Yeah, yeah. The, so that that's a good question as well because um, I probably, I mean, you teach both undergrad and and postgrad students, right? You take on PhD students and that. Mm-hmm. So there's almost, again, if I had my sales hat on, there's like a, a almost a sales funnel, right? Because you've got the, the undergrad students of, of which they might have uh, maybe even compulsory tribology subjects. No, it's, no, it's a technical it's all elective. elective. Okay. Yeah. Um, but you probably have, you know, quite a few uh, undergrad students coming in. Um, mm-hmm. And obviously the funnel gets smaller as you go yeah. into the postgrad world. So... Um, maybe that's an, another question is, uh, what do you find is the most effective way of getting, you know, undergrad students interested in, in kind of postgrad research in tribology? Is it, is it purely getting them engaged in those undergrad classes or is there, is there something else to it? My connection, my first connection point is the undergrad classes. Yep. Um, to, that, that's the best the best way. I mean, I, I do give talks at uh, student group organizations and things like that, but it, the biggest outreach is probably through the class. Mm. I, the, you, you kind of want to keep coming back to the whole sustainability thing that we were talking about earlier. I mean, I'm, I'm not incredibly old, but I, I'm in the older generation now. And the younger people really care passionately and deeply about the world mm. and the global challenges that we face. So it's um, that's that you kind of always have to lead with that when you're trying to engage younger people, younger engineers, particularly because they want to matter, yeah. right? All, all of the, all the students that go that come into college say they they want to pursue a career that matters, that has impact, and you know the logical thing that many people think of is maybe oh I'll be a doctor, right, or a nurse or or something something that directly helps people. And then technical minded thing, you know, maybe I'll be a, an engineer, mm. but the engineers also 
want to be doing something that matters, that addresses the concerns that they have about the world. So if we can bring those things to the fore as we introduce our field and our topic, I think that's the the best sell we have. Yeah, yeah, definitely. (laughs) Yeah, that's uh, that's that's really interesting. Like the sustainability angle, I think is is definitely uh, uh, one of the the strongest draws. I think for Mm -hmm. the the younger generation, we're obviously facing the the dual challenges though of um, people in industry coming from the older generation, and you've got the new people coming through at at the same time, right? So that can uh, make it a little bit challenging. I also though try to try to hook people with sort of uh, tribology that's relevant every day. Mm. And I, I actively seek out research that is not necessarily well-funded, but um, is, is very practical. Mm. So we've done some tribology on apples and we've done some fingertip tribology. We're doing wine tribology right now. I saw um, one of those papers that it's like the why does wine why is wine dry? That's right. So astringency is related to friction. We've done uh, measurements of friction on parchment paper. So I mean, although these aren't necessarily big money makers, they're they're in your you understand them. Yes. You, you get it. Everyone gets it right away. Yep. Um, you know, sports equipment kind of tribology. So I really try to keep our group our group's hand in those types of projects as well, because it can be a, an entree to the field. Yeah, that's interesting. So, cause on the YouTube channel, I've had to probably um, put a little bit more of a focus on uh, consumer engine oils, right? For passenger vehicles. Cause that's mm-hmm. kind of what brings, that sort of yeah. is what people are interested in is their own car. And mm-hmm. it, once you kind of can bring people in, then you can explore the other, um, other applications. So I, I, I kind of see what you mean maybe kind of going a little bit further on that sustainability angle because i'm sure this is a question that you would get all the time is um there's a bit of a maybe a bit of a clash of ideas there where we're saying uh okay tribology is uh, has huge impacts on sustainability in the world um and then but then people will look at the same time and say but it's all the oil companies that are involved. Um, how how can the oil industry possibly be net good, right, for sustainability? So how do you uh, approach that conversation? I've never actually had anyone ask me. All right. <laughs> That's a good one. You got me stumped here off the top of my head. Um, I I would say most most students don't perceive it that way. Yeah. Okay. I, I, cool. I don't think that they say, "Oh, it's this is big oil." Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. That, right. That's not the not quite the perception, um, but it's a legitimate point. And you know, certainly from the academic perspective, funding you have to fun, be funded to support research, and funding often comes from from yeah. oil companies, additive companies, whatever. Um, but it's not the these companies that are. Caught, or I don't want to say causing the problem, but it, yeah. it's not the companies that are generating emissions themselves. Yeah, it you know the companies are in a unique position to minimize that because of the breadth. Mm. Okay, so it's everyone who's driving their cars. Yeah, yeah. It's not you know, it's everybody. Everybody's driving the car. Yeah. The oil company provides the power to do so, and therefore has the opportunity to make make teeny tiny improvements that have massive massive impact so yeah. i don't i don't think i see it that way and i i 
probably the other students don't too. Maybe they do. Yeah. No, I, I just asked the question because I guess, uh, you know, when you are working for an oil company, which I don't do anymore, but I used to, um, that was always one of the perception challenges you had to overcome. You'd, you'd start talking about the sustainability angle of lubricants and they'd kind of just look at you like, yeah, but you work for an oil company. <laughs> why, right. why? And you're sort of saying, well, hang, there, there is an angle, just, you know, hear me out and, and, and we can kind yeah. of kind of get to it you spoke a little bit about the the relationship between um kind of the the like research community and uh and the oil companies who who obviously do their own r&d work themselves as well um so how, how do you guys kind of fit in i guess to to the industrial picture because i know you know a lot of the discoveries that you would be be making in in the research world are going to make their way out into the real world and that's where it has kind of like the impact um how, how does that relationship happen how, well how does it how does it happen is often through i always tell my students networking yep. <laughs> so the connections are almost always made through networking and you just you can't avoid that but to your i think what your bigger question is is what is the role of the university in a university academic partnership mm. and and my view of that is that um, companies have uh, financial support for somewhat shorter term research goals or development goals mm. you know a few years something like on that order or less right or maybe six months but something shorter term but to be looking further out say to the technology of 10 years or 20 years there's often not support within companies for that kind of research, mm, okay. right? And it's, you don't even know what you, what, what you, it's not even clear what that technology would be, right? So it's not, you can't say, okay, you know, Rafe, go, go work on this thing that's gonna be important in 10 years because we don't know what the thing is. So uh, in, in, my, in my view of this, the role of the academic institution is to explore the further down the line technology. Um, you know, because we we can just explore, and that doesn't we don't run into so much in terms of like intellectual property challenges. You know, it's kind of it's a it's a little freer on both our side and that of the company, and brings us all towards the same goals. Mm -hmm. so that's kind of how I see it's like a short term, long term research goal sort of relationship. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sort of on that on that theme, I think, uh, and and getting people excited as well. One of the things, one of the papers that I'd sort of come out of your group, um, which had me as an aerospace engineer really excited was um, looking at, I think it was dry lubricants uh, for the space industry. And, uh, you know, that's not an aspect of tribology that I've ever had exposure to, but that is the kind of thing I was thinking, like as an undergrad student, I'd be I'd be all in for that, right? Like to know that there is there is work going on in in space materials. And again, like you're saying, okay, there is there is obviously a space industry now, but a lot of the work that you're talking about is for the future space industry as it mm -hmm. starts to kind of get bigger. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. That was that was to me was like fascinating. It was fascinating for us. I mean that getting connected to. To, to uh, NASA and, and Jet Propulsion Lab was was gold. <laughs> it yeah. was 
it was a, it was a gold mine. Uh, not not necessarily mean financially, but I just mean in terms of, as you mentioned, engagement of students, um, engagement of the media, public awareness. Mm-hmm. I mean, we had so many opportunities to communicate our message, our standard tribology message, mm-hmm. because of the space angle. And you know, everyone loves space. It's cool. Yeah. It's it's exciting. It's the future. It, it's everyone loves it. But it's also really um, exciting from a research perspective because the um, it's it's a little bit it's driven a little bit different financially. So, for example, say we I'm just gonna this is totally making this up. Yep. Say we develop some coating that has gold and platinum flakes in it or something, right? It's not gonna be implemented anywhere in in automo in the automotive industry, mm. for example. Mm. But NASA might pay for it yeah. for a bear, for a bearing that's going to go like this a few times yeah. <laughs> or, or whatever. You know what I mean? So there's opportunities for really interesting technologies that maybe aren't today financially viable. Mm. But if we can develop them and prove them for the space application, then you know maybe things become financially viable slowly over time if they're good enough. Mm-hmm. Right. So that that to me is, is a neat angle that I, people don't always think about in terms of space research. And then the other cool thing is that it's the, the environment is just just wild. Mm-hmm. It's super cold and there's no air. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. Right. I mean, you're going to send up a send up a standard lubricant up there. It'll be a candle in like 10 minutes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. And I guess uh, so, maybe for people listening who are, uh, most people are not going to have read the paper, but I guess the premise of, uh, you know, it being solid lubricants in space is because right. liquid lubricants just aren't going to work in those temperature extremes, right? So, so basically right. everything is a solid lubricant up there, which is right. very different to the challenges that we face here on Earth. Right, right, right. But as I was saying, perhaps we find a solid lubricant that again, we develop for space and deploy, but say it's so good that maybe there's opportunities, I know, I know, sorry, sorry, oil companies, you know, maybe there's opportunities to minimize or get rid of the oil for some applications. So I, I, I view it as almost like a test bed mm. for future technologies. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that's fascinating. And maybe to go from, you know, the, the uh, real far out there kind of 10 years from now to research that you guys do um, which I'm sort of, in some respects, fascinated by because one of the one of the other aspects, rather than talking about future technologies, is a lot of research that goes into current technologies that we still can't really explain. Mm-hmm. So, um, again, a couple of the papers that I've seen come out of your group, things like the role of shear in tribofilm formation, right? Like to me, that's such a fascinating topic because, I mean, ZDDP is is an additive. Like it's it's as old as they come, right? It's been around forever, and I just found it fascinating that we don't we don't actually have a full understanding of how it works. I know. (laughs) So wild. So you know, to be able to take some of those insights and communicate them back into the community as well. Um. How, how is that kind of research viewed as well, I guess? Because do you get questions about, like, why are we still studying ZDDP? Hasn't this thing been around for, like, 80 years? 
Well, um, the, answer, the answer to that question, though, is regulation. It's yeah, got, right. CDB has some nasty stuff in it. Hmm. I'm nasty. And it's, it's slowly being phased Phase out, out. Yeah. in Europe and not here yet, but it, it's probably coming. So in terms of the timing of research specifically on CDDP, it's, it's because we're looking for greener alternatives. But, uh, but in answer to your question sort of more generally about you know, fundamental research, it's actually, I didn't think of this before when I answered your previous question, but another thing that's incredibly cool about tribology is that everything happens between two sliding surfaces. So you can't just look and see what happens, right? Yeah. We know that additives form tribal films that are critical to protecting surfaces during operation. Everybody knows that, but no one has ever seen it happen. Nobody. That's so true. Can't see it. You can't see it. I mean, people have done tricks where they made one of the surfaces transparent, but then you have a different surface, mm. right? So it, it's kind of like this hidden, super cool science. <laughs> yeah, that's so. It's so interesting to think that like it's hiding in plain sight. Right. The whole world, it still goes ahead and functions. Like everyone's got anti-wear additives in their in their lubricants, but right. no one's actually ever seen it happen in that wild yeah I, it's it's just crazy so that, that i mean that's why there's this research yeah maybe that's like that's an angle that i should i should try as well and try and to get people interested is that the mystery of it yeah right i hadn't yeah. really i never really picked up on that that there is a lot of mystery involved in in uh in lubricants maybe maybe i've always tried to get away from that because we already have a bit of a reputation as kind of being like the black art right that people don't really know what goes into any of the lubricants if i then say that we also don't know how they work. Um, yeah, well, you could frame it like a murder mystery story. Yeah, yeah. Right? Well, you could have something, some intrigue involved there. Yeah. And then ZDDP showed up. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that that's actually uh, that's a cool angle. I'd never really uh, thought about it that way. Um, so, what are what are some of the to to talk a, bit, a little bit more about the future stuff? Because I think that's the the things that kind of get people excited, right? And people get engaged. What do you see as, as being some of the, um, the, the really neat um, places that the tribology community can, can kind of go to? So maybe if I can frame the question a little bit more. So obviously there's going to be, well, there already are um, new lubricant requirements, let's say, for example, for the EV industry, right? That's, mm -hmm. that's going to be a whole kind of separate application that's relatively new um then we've also got again on the sustainability angle um people looking at the idea of things like ionic fluids right so how do you actually take the fossil fuel um out of the lubricant entirely and you probably in your research get exposure to a whole bunch of other sort of out there stuff so so what do you see as kind of being like the really exciting fields that, that we're thinking of you know 20 20 years down the line that's kind of a tough one that's a tough thing because there's so many different directions and it's hard to know which will come to fruition right you just mentioned the ionic liquids which i i think are incredibly cool mm -hmm. because you know for for viewers who don't know what they are there there's a there's two parts a positive and a negative part and what What's interesting about them is that they can be both a base oil and an additive. Mm, yeah. So they have appropriate viscosity profiles to be a base oil, 
but yet they line up, they're kind of little, little guys like this, and they line up on surfaces to protect surfaces like additives. Mm -hmm. So to me, that's sort of like yeah. <laughs> something that can be a base oil and an additive is, is amazing. And there's an input, so the positive and the negative are called the cation and the anion. And there's like an infinite number of possible combinations of anions and cations, mm -hmm. which suggests tunability. Yeah. Right. I mean, that, that idea is totally another another mind blowing idea is that you could say, OK, for this particular application, we're going to get put cation A and anion B, and it's going to give us exactly the performance we need. And this one will use C and F or whatever. I mean, that possibility, it just change. It's a paradigm changer for lubricants. Mm. So I you, you brought it up, but I particularly am excited about the ionic liquid lubricant angle mm. and I. I hope and think that it will it will begin having more and more impact. Yeah, yeah. But that's just one of them. I mean, there's so many exciting technologies that are coming out and research discoveries. It's all just very exciting. Yeah, I mean, one of the ones that I have sort of particularly interested in in was the is kind of reformulation for for use in hydrogen applications, right? Because you can. I think it's something that people don't really think about is they everyone talks about oh let's convert all these engines to running on hydrogen I and mean, you know Yenbarker had an announcement the other day that they've got a, like a full basically product lineup of engines that will now run on you know either a mix of methane and hydrogen or virtually 100% hydrogen and uh, my first thought obviously because I'm in the industry is well how are the lubricants reformulated to run on that right uh -huh. um, you know presumably you run. I, I mean i'm just thinking out loud i have no idea but presumably you run into problems with i would guess uh you know water content as well right because it you know you combust hydrogen mm -hmm. you get a lot more water than you would with regular methane and how do you how do you deal with that in the oil system and all, all kinds of stuff so yeah yeah, yeah new, so... new technologies like that are going to be drivers for tribology. Tribology is a little bit of a follower hmm. technology. Um, you know, the, 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 that, the example you just mentioned, and then previously you talked about the electric vehicles. You know, this is something that we have to catch up on. Uh, maybe a decade or so back, there was the, you know, the wind turbines. Hmm. Wind turbines are getting bigger and bigger, and, you know, the gearboxes aren't lasting. And yeah. It, but as, as other kinds of technology move forward, which they necessarily will. And they all involve stuff that moves. Almost all things have yeah. something that moves and therefore tribology's in there. So I, it's another a kind of along the theme that we've been discussing challenge for our field is that we are kind of a following technology. Hmm. It's often not that tribology and lubricants are the leader and then all of a sudden, all these other things are going to follow behind. Mm. It, it, I'm sure from an industrial perspective, you know what I'm talking about when you say, oh, uh, we just we just changed the design of this component. Mm. And then the tribologist finds out like a year later. Yeah. It, it, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and so we are kind of a following technology. But, you know, maybe it's sometimes it's good to embrace embrace what you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, take the opportunities that come. Yeah. So maybe one of the other questions I'd have would, you know, we talked a little bit about the idea that, um, you know, tribology kind of sits at the intersection of so many different fields. And one thing we, we kind of know uh, from, 
you know innovation and studies about innovation is that that's where a lot of innovation happens right when you get mm-hmm. um you know either people who've migrated from one field to another and can sort of migrate the findings across um one thing that i was curious about is um maybe your group might not be involved in it so much but medical tribology there's a whole field out there of um mm-hmm. you know every every joint in your body is effectively right, right. you know a bearing for mm-hmm. want of a better word but we don't get the chance to top up with lubricant every couple right. of years so you know when we're designing artificial joints we obviously need to have um you know solid contacts that can last for uh, that are very durable and can last a really long time so do you see any um discoveries that are being made in you know medical tribology that actually do carry over into industrial um how or, or are they two kind of completely separate fields so I'm speaking a little bit out of my area of expertise okay. because I, as you mentioned, I don't, my group doesn't do um, bio-tribology stuff, but I do follow it and I am equally intrigued. Mm. You're right. I mean, there's people, so my, it's personal, but my grandma's turning 101 this year. Wow. And she's still walking around. Yeah. She And she reaches up and pulls things out of cupboards. And as you said, every one of those things is a 101-year-old bearing. <laughs> that nobody designed and nobody took to Jiffy Lube. Yeah. <laughs> right. So it, it's a mir- it's a miracle. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. And I I know of people who study that, and I I hope as you as I think a lot of people that study it are working towards improved um, artificial replacement joints mm. and such. But there must be learning. There must be learning to be gained, some understanding to be gained from how Mother Nature did it. Because, dang, she did it right. <laughs> Maybe yeah. we can learn something from it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. And I mean, again, when you sort of start talking about that, I mean, that that would effectively put, you know, a lot of companies out of business. But that's I think, right. in in some respects, like that's what a lot of research is, right? You you're trying to put yourself out of business. You know, yeah. there's all these people studying the cure for cancer if and when they all hope that they get there but when they do like that's that's game over for thousands and thousands of researchers across the world so um yeah no it's it's a fascinating field look um i think we can probably end it there hey professor martini i I really really appreciate you um coming on for this um i think you know I, i found it really interesting to talk about some of those like really cutting edge technologies that um you know, will eventually make their way down into the industrial world, but at the moment we can just get excited about them. And I uh, also really appreciate the work that you do to kind of get it out there and promote the field. So um, thanks, thanks so much for taking the time to come on. It's absolutely been my pleasure. I really appreciate that you're ma- take, making the effort and taking the time to create these podcasts. I think it's a great effort and I'm happy to support it in any way that I can. Good luck with it. Awesome. Sounds good. Thank you.